Hi, everybody. Adam Cook from Campus Inc. in the NIL store. Want to say real quickly, thank you so much for listening and joining us on this journey. And as a reminder, if you ever need any custom merchandise, youth jerseys, camp t-shirts, whatever it may be, you can always find us at campus.inc. And of course, for all your NIL needs, nil.store. We're going to jump into the episode. I hope you enjoy. In our conception of name, image, and likeness, in many ways, we thought that this was going to mirror what we see in the pros. What I learned very quickly in this role was that that wasn't true for a lot of reasons. Hey, everyone. It's Steven with the NIL Show and Campus Inc. back for another episode. It is week four. Is this our fourth episode, guys? Week four. We are with the NIL team at Campus Inc., Adam Cook, Sean Ellenby. Guys, how's it going? It's going great. We finally got some sunshine and good weather in Chicago, which uh, I feel like I have two different versions of myself. <laughs> There's good weather Chicago and bad weather Chicago. So feeling good. Think things are great. Softball is heading into the postseason right now. Baseball is going into the postseason. It's the best time uh, for spring college sports. So it's a lot of fun right now. Sean, you're getting married soon. I am getting married soon. Uh, how's how's the preseason? How's the preseason? <laughs> uh, preseason is is going fine. Uh, we're working through the kinks, but no, we're enjoying it. We're trying to enjoy the process through it. But I think we're six weeks out now. Uh, I got the bachelor party in three weeks back in Ocean City, Maryland. Um, and once I get through that, I think it'll be very real. You're getting married in Maryland, right? In Baltimore. I'm getting married in Baltimore. Yeah. So, so planning, uh, planning a long distance wedding. If you think, if you think a long distance relationship <laughs> is hard, plan a long distance wedding. Yeah. Yeah. When we originally planned it, we were still living in Baltimore. We, we didn't think we'd be planning long distance, but certain things happen. Um, so it'd be good to be going back home. Career change, planning a wedding, moving from higher ed to the private sector, working in the NIL space. It's been a year for you, Sean. Yeah, some some things some things have happened, that's for sure. I didn't quite have a baby like Adam, so it's not it's not totally life-changing. But uh, yeah, a lot of things have happened. Uh, but it's all good stuff. Like it's all really good stuff and we've enjoyed every step of it. Um, and yeah, the private sector is kind of fun. There's a little bit more I don't know, when you're working in the public school area, there's a lot of rules, a lot of things that you have to abide by. Private sector is it's kind of fun, you know, a little bit more of a challenge, but more fun. All right. So we have an awesome guest today, um, Cam Cox from the University of Illinois, easily a thought leader in the NIL space. We've gotten the pleasure of working with him. But before he comes on, guys, um, what's new in NIL? Tell us about what's happened in the last week. There is a lot new in the NIL space. So within the last week, the NCAA released uh, some clarification of language around NIL and activities that were allowed and not allowed. Uh, Sean wrote a great piece about uh, just what it means for college sports. Once again, does it have any impact on what we're doing around merchandise? Absolutely not. But it's been really fascinating to see a lot of school and universities reactions around what the NCAA has said. The long and short of it is, is they re-clarified what booster activity is and who qualifies as a booster. Um, they named all of the uh, collectives as boosters. And so uh, put out some language around kind of reminding people what they can and cannot do and also said, hey, we may retroactively go back and look at some particularly 
uh, egregious activity in the collective space. So um, good things there. I think a lot of universities were interested or, or maybe even hoping for them to give a little bit more clarity as we barrel down this like arms race of, of NIL stuff. Um, I think people were kind of kind of open for a little bit more from the NCAA, but I'm sure it'll come soon. Uh, what's new on your side, Sean? Yeah, I, I would just say what's cool with us right now is references. Um, I think we knew this going in. One of our most powerful tools in terms of spreading the good word uh, would be references of our athletes and, and telling their friends um, how their experiences are here at Campus Sync. So Mac Leonard's been an all-star for us so far um, down at Florida had State. An all, had an all-star had, weekend. Yeah, that's right. She had an amazing weekend. She just uh, basically won the ACC title for Florida State. But one of her good friends that she actually played softball with at ISU in her club days, Morgan Day um, from Oklahoma State, just signed with us. And then another teammate of Max, I think we're going to end up signing as well. Um, and so, and she's not the first athlete that has certainly um, been a reference for us in signing athletes. So I love that. That's what you want, right? You want you want your your athletes to be having a great experience and telling others and sharing the good words. So it's awesome. Sean, tell us about Keely Rochard and what's going on there. Big history at Virginia Tech. Yeah, Keely Rochard, uh, pretty cool. First co-licensed athlete in Virginia Tech history. So uh, it's pretty special. We have a very, very special guest with us today. We are joined by Cam Cox, who oversees the Influence Program at University of Illinois. Uh, Cam joined Illinois in 2021 before joining the athletics department there. Uh, he was in New York City as a practicing lawyer at two of the most prestigious firms in the country, Simpson, Thatcher, and Bartlett, as well as uh, Covington and Burling. Um, he has a lot of experience, not just in uh, the legal side, but in the athletics department as well. He's a graduate of Auburn University, uh, graduated from Vanderbilt with his law degree, so he is uh, no slouch um, in this space at all. So we are really, really excited to be joined by Cam Cox at University of Illinois. Thank you, Cam, for, for joining us. I'm glad to be here, Adam. I think I need you as my hype man everywhere I go. Uh, <laughs> you know, good, no Adam. pressure to answer this stuff correctly. I'm, I'm, glad, uh, I'm glad to be on here and, and glad to be able to kind of talk a little NIL with you boys. I was just going to say, like, why the heck would you leave New York to join <laughs> this Wild West we call NIL? Tell us about your journey into the space. Well, it, it's because I knew everything in the world might be possible. I'll say when I practiced securities law um, for a lot of the good things it taught me and a lot of the benefits it gave me. I mean, the truth is that the framework of the securities laws was built. I mean, at this point, we're coming on about 85 years ago with 33 Act, 34 Act. Um, it's not a great 40 Act. Um, obviously, it's changed in its regulation since then. Think about, you know, SX, SKD, those kinds of things in terms of the regs. But the very first NIL laws went into effect only about a week and a half after I started, right? So this is the equivalent of actually being able to really build a plane as you fly it, to think about where it should fly, how it should fly, if it should be flying at all. Maybe it should be a boat, right? Those are all <laughs> the things that we get to kind of figure out right now and to be kind of on the front line of that and have an opportunity to be a part of that decision-making process in this intense period of disruption for college athletics, that's a once in a lifetime opportunity. And you really can't turn that down. So I think when I was presented with it, it was one of those, Hey, how fast do I get there before Josh Whitman changes his mind? <laughs> one of those <laughs> kind of things. So I'm glad to be here. Cam, how unique is your role? How, how, how unique is your role within college athletics offices um, in terms of, 
have you seen other universities with the same role that you have at this point yet uh, with similar backgrounds? I, I feel like there offices have been all over the place in terms of the backgrounds of the people that they're hiring in NIL positions. What have you seen from your vantage point? Yeah, it's a great question. I'll say, I don't know if I was the first one, but I was one of the very, very early kind of NIL specialist types of folks. I'll say that our athletic director, I think, is particularly forward thinking and a bright guy, Josh Whitman. Um, and, and he led the industry in saying, hey, look, NIL affects trademarks. It affects marketing. It affects compliance. It obviously affects student athlete education. It affects fundraising. We need somebody who can just jump right in the middle of all that stuff. Right. And I think before there was a concern that, well, you know, let's just make it a part of somebody's job. And what we saw across the country was several athletic departments tried to do that. And then they realized, wait a minute, wait a minute. This thing is way too big to be done effectively as just a part of somebody's job. It needs to be someone's entire role. Um, and so as a result of that, we've seen an increase in my types of roles. And so I know like Tennessee hired somebody. I know Memphis has somebody mm -hmm. new. Um, I'll say that there's a position posted for Purdue. Um, and then there's there's one other one that I saw posted. Oh, Kansas State just the other day. So there's actually kind of a lot of us uh, now and a lot of us coming. But I think that there will be space for for even more. And I think there's a real advantage to not really looking at somebody who has a particular background. I mean, I have my skill set, but I'll say there's folks I talk to all across the country that I have a lot of respect for. And they come from totally different backgrounds. Right. Because. And as much as this whole thing is informed by state law and it is helpful to be a lawyer, this all has to do with student athletes. And so maybe it's helpful to have a background as a student athlete. Also has to do with connecting communities. So maybe it's helpful to hire somebody who is kind of a hometown lady, right? Like those kinds of things are, are the things that you have to think about as an athletic department, because what we're finding out in NIL, and it's no different with NIL hiring, there's more than one way to skin a cat here. 100%. And you're you're in a really interesting position at University of Illinois because like you mentioned they were very forward thinking in the way that they wanted to approach NIL and and their interaction with it and and also I think pretty wise in kind of predicting where it would go all of the different factors it would impact while simultaneously being in a state that has historically had some of the most restrictive legislation around NIL activities as it relates to the schools, athletes, as well as businesses. So how has that been for you, you know, being at this super progressive institution that is in a state that's kind of holding back on things a little bit? Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll give a little context because it, it almost is a contradiction without the context. So what happened was, and a lot of people may not know this, the NCAA kind of leading up to July 1st of 2021, the NCAA put forth proposed legislation around name, image, and likeness. And it was a robust kind of package of legislation. It was the culmination of several months, you know, I guess over a year of kind of working group analysis and all this kind of stuff toward the end of 2020. Right there before NIL was set to go into effect, the Austin opinion came out. And when the Austin opinion came out, what happened was the NCAA started to kind of just question its ability to regulate student athlete compensation in kind of any way. Right. And so a lot of that legislation fell away. What does this have to do with our state law? Several of the early state laws, think about Alabama state law, think about Florida state law, think of South Carolina state law, think of our state law, think of Mississippi state law, I can go on and on. Several of those early state laws were drafted 
is essentially a codification of that NCAA legislation to try to create what would have been a national standard just existing in several states. You can almost think of it as you know, speed limit. The speed limits are in the, on the highways are actually um, regulated on a state by state basis, but we all kind of agree it should be somewhere between 65 and 75. <laughs> That's basically the way it was supposed to work. What happened was when Austin came out, they basically said, hey, there's no speed limit. And then folks who hadn't had a speed limit said, well, wait a minute, I think we can go 100 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And so what, what we did kind of being forward thinking was uh, on the front end say, OK, let, let's make sure our student athletes have access to the right of publicity and can actually monetize their NIL. Let's put forth a law. And then it was like, oops, we found ourselves in kind of a bad spot. And then it started to become, OK, how do we make sure our student athletes still have opportunity? And so we were really the leaders of efforts to try to amend our state law, because mm-hmm. something I saw very quickly when I got into this role was, wait a minute, not having that background in college athletics, it it hit me from day one. So much of the student athlete experience is tied to their support, the resources, and really just the counseling that they receive from the athletic department. And so it was one of those things where, hey, if you're having a hard time in, in class, what do you do? You get a tutor from the athletic department. If you need to figure out, okay, you just get to campus, you're you're a young lady, you're 18 years old, where do you live? Talk to the athletic department. If you need to improve your game, of course, talk to your coach, talk to the athletic department. But then when it comes to this whole new space, this opaque thing that no one's ever had the right to do, this question about like, how do you leverage the new platform? You have all this stuff. Now you can't talk to the athletic department. It kind of doesn't make sense, right? And so what we saw very quickly was there's an appetite from the student athlete for us to get more involved. But what we also saw, and I kind of made this very vocal in some of the earlier conversations we had, is that in our conception of name, image, and likeness, in many ways, we thought that this was going to mirror what we see in the pros. What I learned very quickly in this role was that that wasn't true for a lot of reasons. One, most of the people don't have agents, and that's a big thing. But two, is that the nature of student-athlete celebrity is derived from their relationship to the institution. And so the market for student-athlete celebrity is also connected to the institution. And so you kind of have this weird scenario under our law and, you know, those laws that I mentioned a minute ago, where basically you've got people who really like the institution. You've got athletes who, who are um, really connected to the institution and the institution is kind of out of the whole mix. Right. And in a lot of ways, we've saw that, hey, this this didn't make sense. And for that reason, all of those laws that I listed have now been amended or repealed. Right. Right. And, you know, it, it's again, in our conversations and as we, you know, here at Campus Inc. talk to different universities and student athletes. I mean, our experience across the country is exactly that, that there's this appetite that the athletes have of this desire for the universities to be able to assist them, because that's been that relationship for, you know, as as long as we can remember. And now all of a sudden there have been these big blocks in place. And, you know, as a former athlete and coach myself and now working on this, this space, it's, it's a little bit frustrating. You want to pull your hair out. You're like, you're, you as a university are there with the intention of assisting the student athlete in this transition from whatever high school to the professional world, uh, amateur sports to professional sports, whatever it may be, your purpose is to assist in this transition. And all of a sudden now your hands are tied. And so it's been really great to see what you're able to do at University of Illinois. It's been able to see other institutions begin to kind of spin this up and really, 
uh, embrace that role of we can help you navigate this in a way that's going to be successful for us and you uh, and really do this in, in the way that it's intended to be done. Cam, my question, my question is, you know, like how much time, obviously you're spending time educating and offering resources to the athletes. And, you know, we see that Illinois is really taking a progressive approach at like education and resources. How much time do you spend educating legislators like, and, and educating Springfield and being like, cause we're learning about this. I wonder how like, you know, senators and, and legislators are, are, are really, you know, thinking about this is a lot of your time spent, like teaching them and telling them what's needed. I would say a good bit of my time is spent um, on educating the people who can make changes, be it legislators, be it, you know, people who are kind of in our lobbying apparatuses, University of Illinois, be it people who are in other lobbying apparatuses, that kind of stuff. I mean, I'll say one, I want to correct myself earlier. I said that Florida state law was amended and it, they moved to amend it, but it was not actually ultimately amended uh, just to clarify that for anybody listening. Um, But I say that to say, like, educating people on the status of our law, of other laws, and why that's important is a big deal. Because our representatives, they're, like, really busy, guys. <laughs> I mean, they – this is the biggest thing in my world because I am the NIL director. But at the end of the day, this is a child's game, right? This is amateur athletics. And, you know, it, we consider – and we'll talk about how it's becoming a bit more specialized and other things. But, like, th- this is not, you know, the war in Ukraine. This is not inflation. Right. And, and this is not – you know, some things about, you know, curbing violence, like things where you're like, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's all kind of take a step back here. And so I do have to spend quite a bit of time succinctly delivering information to people who can make a change. I mean, I've, I've spoken to our representatives on a state level and even folks on a national level um, for the purpose of kind of making changes that we want to see. I mean, because we're always focused on kind of the NIL law, which, like I said, comes at a state level. But there are national laws here as well that, that there has been lobbying efforts to kind of try to change up. Um, but all of that is about kind of getting it on people's radar. And the truth is, I don't know if y'all know, this is an election year. <laughs> and so because of that, it's even tougher. Um, but that, that doesn't stop our efforts because one, one thing about our industry is that in this part of NIL, in terms of particularly when it comes to kind of involvement of institutions as it relates to these opportunities, when it comes to the accessibility of NIL for international student athletes, when it comes to kind of federal records protection as it relates to kind of uh, student athlete information, I'm sorry, freedom of information as it relates to student athlete uh, NIL deals. Like there's consensus on those issues and that's what makes them different than some of the harder stuff that our legislatures have to get through. And so a lot of times what we do is we have to explain to them like, you know, it's not that I'm proposing some new thing for our state law. It's new to you, but this is kind of where the market is now. Or it's not that, you know, when Oscar Sheboy sat down with Mitch McConnell and talked about what we need to do to change the visa laws for, for student, international student athletes to take advantage of NIL, that he was proposing something that I hadn't proposed or, you know, our international student scholar service hadn't proposed. It's just it, it needs to get on Senator McConnell's radar. Right. And so there's that kind of stuff. Um, and I'd say I spend more time than I would have thought doing that, but it's always really worthwhile. I love what you said about about it being uh, ultimately we're in sports. And I, when, as I was used to work in the athletic department, I would always remind people like, look, guys, we're working in sports. This should be fun. We're not curing cancer here. Let's find a way to make this fun. Um, so I love what you said there. Um, I'm curious, when, when athletes, when they have, especially, or I guess in particular Illinois athletes, um, if they have a contract that's sent to them, can they take that to you and you look over and say, I think this is good for you or not good for you? Or what are the rules in the state of Illinois in terms of how much you can help from that? 
perspective. Yeah, so it's really nuanced. And that's the kind of thing we want to be able to get more involved with, particularly I do just because, you know, my background as a lawyer. Um, What we do is we educate. So a lot of times when student athletes get these contracts, they say, like, what is this? What does this term mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes it's, okay. you just need to read it. But more often, it's actually a legitimate question. I mean, I'll say one of the early questions I got was from one of our wrestling guys said, you know, what does this section mean? And I was like, well, what section are you talking about? And it was like, you know, section 2A1. And I'm like, okay, what is it? And so I look and it, and it had to do with the FTC um, requirements that mm. basically you say hashtag ad or hashtag sponsored. And I thought, I can totally see why you wouldn't know what that is. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of able to educate. So I can do that. I can explain to you like, well, the indemnification provision is saying, if you do this, you're still going to be on the hook for it. And the flip side is if they do that, then they're going to be on the hook for it. Or, well, this governing law provision says that this has got to be governed by Illinois. And that's really important because, remember, NIL laws change state by state. What I can't do is say, oh, my gosh, dude, this termination provision is ridiculous. (laughs) Right. I I can't do that. What I can't do is say, oh, you're only getting 10 percent. Well, you know, so-and-so is getting 20 percent. Right. Like that's what I can't do. Um, And so that hamstrings me a little bit. I think it's also hard because. To some degree, as you educate, you want to push a little further and be like, well, this is what this term means. And you hope that they realize. And that's a terrible term. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the things you got to remember about young people. And that's the thing. These are young people is that they don't know where market normally is. So I can tell you, well, um, you know, there's all these miscellaneous clauses and they could say, well, we should just get rid of that stuff. Well, we can't really, it, it's not a big deal, but we can't really get rid of it. Yeah. Right. And, but even there, it's like, what am I giving legal advice? Right. So there's this whole question about how involved we're really supposed to be. Um, and I think that, you know, I've been telling people this over the last couple of weeks that I've had a chance to speak on this stuff. I think the question about the appropriate level of involvement for an institution in a student athlete in a third party's business endeavors is really the central question of, of, of all of NIL. Mm-hmm. When we think about what's going on in the collective space, when we think about what should the NCAA do, even when we think about stuff like how to advertise for it, even the education, like all of that is really wrapped up in that same kind of central theme. Yeah, it's so interesting what you said there. I, I remember one of our coaches, he was talking to me, he said, I, I can't believe our guy took that deal. And I was like, coach, two months ago, he was making zero. Now he's actually making money. He doesn't care what the deal is. He's just happy to make money. And so I keep saying, I think a year later now into it, I think our, I think college athletes are going to be a little bit more savvy when it comes to signing deals. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one of the things about like one of the most important things in every state law and every institutional policy has to do with disclosure, because I have to know what's going on. And I can't just get that from headlines, which are sometimes misleading and sometimes they want them to get out and sometimes they're not true and all this other stuff. I have to actually see, okay, look, if you are a part of our men's basketball program, the market generally would be interested in you doing this thing for this amount of money. If you're part of our women's basketball program, it's a different amount of money. If you're part of our football program, it's a third amount of money, soccer and tennis and swimming and everything else. But I have to have some sense of what it is because what I'll also see is, well, this person's a part of our football program, but they're local. And so maybe they're earning a higher compensation. They're earning something that, well, that's not, that's looking like quarterback money right there, right? <laughs> but but I remember, well, hey, this, this kid's from Muhammad, right? And so it becomes a different thing. But I have to be able to kind of gather all that. And the worst thing in the world is that after you have all that information and, you know, to the extent that anybody does after these, you know, 11 months of this thing being into effect, then next thing you know, 
you've got someone in softball who walks up to you and says, hey, is this a good price? And your lips are sealed. Mm -hmm. And you're thinking, you know, generally, yeah. And, and that's one thing that's been good. I want to be clear about that. Like the market has been very, very kind to, I think, our student athletes and, and has been very fair. But in the event that they're not, I really want the ability to be like, this is ridiculous or mm -hmm. don't do this or what? No, just let me redo it for you. Um, and so there's a real concern around kind of being protective. But on the other hand, they're adults, right? As much as they're young people, they're adults. And the whole foundation of this thing is student athlete autonomy. And so even as we're able to get more involved and whatever, one thing I'll never do is actually set the price for student athletes, because to me, that's up to them. It's, it's very important. It's the core of what we're trying to do here is make it where they have to set their own prices. They have to care. Right. And so that, that's a part of that stuff, too. Yeah, it's all it's almost it's almost like your career services. Like like I remember going to college and being like, hey, these are the companies I want to interview for. And like, can you look at my resume? And like it, it, there is a demand for professional development. And this is professional development. It's real life coaching. You are a coach for them for their business endeavors. Um, but your hands are also tied, right? Is is that where you think like agency plays a role now? All Because because there is a demand for the students to get help, right? Like they need the help. They want help with contract negotiation. They want to help figuring out their prices. Doesn't that just create a sector for agents to come in and be accessible? Like how do you feel about all that? It does. It does. And I'll say that, you know, the agents that I've kind of heard about anecdotally across the country and here at the University of Illinois have actually been very, very good. Um, I think the problem is that student athlete compensation is generally much lower than professional compensation. And so when you talk about getting your 10, your 10 percent, 15 percent, 20 percent. I'd take 20% of a million dollars before I take 20% of a hundred dollars any day. And that's basically the problem that, that the market for agents isn't that great because the opportunity is not that lucrative. And that's something that we got wrong really early on. I mean, you look at these state laws across the country, particularly some of the older ones, there's all this ink that's spilled talking about agents, this and agents, that and agents have to have this qualification and agents have to do this thing and all the agent contract. And you look up and there's no agents. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm thinking even more like, that gap's there. And if the institution can't fill it and the agent can't fill it, then it's just a gap. Mm -hmm. And when there's a gap, then it's, things get missed, right? Because things can land too far in the gap. And that's basically what the problem is. I mean, I think there is a real opportunity for agents. We're seeing an, in, an increase in kind of uptick in younger agents, like folks who maybe aren't as experienced. Um, but there's trade-offs with that. Like every agent that you get can't be, you know, the world's most powerful, you know, the version of Ari Gold that we all remember from Entourage, right? Yeah. Um, but you probably want somebody better than just you know a sophomore who's in the same business class that you are because we're how do they know more than you? Well, um, and that's that's real too. I mean, we we I chat with agents regularly, and you know I am always a little surprised sometimes. And like I get an email and it's oh I'm working with so and so agency and it's an at Hotmail or something like that, or yeah. you know an, an at university.edu and then uh, schedule calling is like, Oh, I got class at this time. And I'm like, Oh, like, that's, that, <laughs> sorry, that's not what I expected when you said you were an agent, but that's, a, that's a great, yeah. you know, there's, there is this opportunity now for this new, uh, I don't know, this new, uh, kind of class to come up. And, and you mentioned that there's a gap there. Um, if that gap gets filled in a, in a productive and a helpful and a competent way, then that's a wonderful thing. Right. Absolutely. But you've got to fill it in a helpful, productive, and competent way. And like, that's what's difficult, particularly right now, because there's a lot that goes to this stuff. I mean, if you're an NIL agent, my first question is, hey, like, do you know the NIL laws? Okay, then do you know the rules associated with that? Like actually kind of what's come out of those laws? And then it's like, do you know the market? Mm -hmm. Can you actually drum up opportunities? 
Um, and, and you're hard pressed thus far in a brand new kind of space to find somebody who can confidently say yes to all three of those questions. Mm-hmm. It's just hard. It's just really, really hard. But it's better than the alternative, which is a student athlete having no help um, without an athletic department that can assist them. So we've we've been fortunate in that sense. So you, you talked about, uh, you know, kind of some gaps. You talked about some changes. And, and, you know, one of the things that has been absolutely shocking to me is for the first 10 months of this, how silent the NCAA was as a governing body and how much they yeah. intentionally removed themselves from a, a lot of the conversations where you would expect them to be involved. Uh, that mm-hmm. changed a little bit this last week around, you know, them putting some uh, publications out around, you know, re-clarifying some NIL uh, bylaws and what have you. Um, I, I'd love just to kind of get your your off the cuff. I'm not going to lead you any direction. W- what did you think about that statement from the NCAA, the clarification on the NIL laws? Um, what, what was your kind of first reaction as an athletics department representative? Yeah. So let me talk out of both sides of my mouth like a good lawyer. <laughs> On one hand, it wasn't a big deal. Reason being, it essentially just added more color on the rules that already existed. Didn't put forth any new rules. It didn't add really anything that we didn't already know. I think it was just a more forceful version of what we do know. Um, I also think that it, it came at a time where the toothpaste is a little bit out of the tube. And so there's a sense of, okay, what can this really do? Is this enforceable? Everybody knows the NCAA is afraid of legislation, or I'm sorry, of litigation, I guess, and also legislation, which we'll talk about later. Um, but but all of that kind of made it where, ah, this isn't a big deal. On the other hand, Adam, this was a huge deal <laughs> because the NCAA actually stepped up and said, look, we're going to enforce the rules that we have. I'll tell you a little story. The biggest thing that ever happened in NIL, and no one really talks about this because it's such a small thing, was that later in the fall last year, the NCAA announced that they were investigating BYU, Miami, and Oregon as it related to a couple of NIL things. And what came out very shortly thereafter was that the, in, the investigation was cursory at best and yielded absolutely nothing. That kind of mismanagement and miscommunication around that mismanagement combined with the early signing day is why you're seeing the wild, wild west. Now, Mm -hmm. I like to say all the time, you know, it's the equivalent of, you know, you're in college and say you're at a frat party and the police show up and they say, turn your music down. Now, this thing can go one of two ways. What happened in the fall was essentially the NCAA said, you know what, actually, no, you have the right to be in this house. You can play your music as long as you want. And then everyone turned (laughs) their music up. Right. (laughs) And so, What happened Monday was that the NCAA came back to the house and said, no, you need to turn the music down Mm -hmm. and we're not leaving. Mm -hmm. And now there's this sense that, well, maybe we do have the right, maybe we don't, but they seem to be real serious this time. And so I think what we're seeing is that in this world where institutional appetites have consistently pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed, there's finally starting to be this wall. And we're saying, look, you're not going to be able to just push as much as you want. There actually are rules you can actually get in trouble. And there's a concern that, that the police might show up here. And Cam, that's really like, let's, let's, the elephant in the room is these are around collectives, right? And inducement, mm-hmm. right? What has your experience been seeing collectives? Like every day I hear about another one that's being spun up. Um, you know, for, for, for those listening that might be part of a collective or are part of that world and in, in, in the booster world, like, what do you have to say to them? Um, because you're seeing it on, on the higher ed side, the, the legal side, like 
I don't know. What, what's your take on them? I like collectives. I like collectives a lot. Um, I encourage people to get involved with collectives. I encourage people to contribute to collectives. But I encourage collectives to do their business the right way. And when I say the right way, first off, I mean, you know, create a legitimate infrastructure. You see a lot of these collectives that are put together kind of in a haphazard way. They want to make a splash. That's it. Um, I also say do right by the student athletes. If you love your school, yeah, make sure that you're, you're whole in terms of, of your time and your and your sweat that you put in there. But don't make a profit from it. Mm. That doesn't make you a collector. You're like kind of a, a business that's, that's really taking advantage of the student athlete at mm. that point. Um but I like the concept because the foundation of kind of institutional programming is really donor support. Mm-hmm. That's everything from, you know, our soccer program to our law school, to our business school, to our engineering, program, all that stuff. It really works because people who care about it have an opportunity to show how much they care by putting their money where their mouth is. And because the institutions aren't paying student athletes the collectives give people an opportunity to do that and to feel more engaged. And this is another front of engagement, right? And so I really do support what collectives are doing. Um, I think that obviously I don't support recruiting inducements. I don't support them speaking to recruits. I don't think there's any place for that. I think that, you know, that's something that really has to stop, um, particularly because it, it's not in the best interest of, of your school. I mean, I think a lot of people be like, yeah, whatever, you can say whatever you want. Um, but it's not in the best interest of your school. I mean, you don't have as good of a sense of what's going to happen in the future to your programs. And you shouldn't be the one guiding that. Like, that's part of the trust that you put in your coach. I mean, it, can you imagine a world where, you know, Coach Underwood, who you know, won these trophies sitting here behind me, um, told me this is what we should do in the future. And I said, no, Coach, you need to recruit this other kid. Like, that, <laughs> that's insane, right? Like, this doesn't make sense. Um, so I think that's a part of a part of why you should should just wait until your, your guys and girls are actually on campus, but you know, keep on at it. Isn't it funny how sometimes boosters have a, have a bad connotation to them. It's, it's so because without boosters and donors, your athletic department literally cannot exist. I mean, student athlete scholarships are funded by, um, those donors. They are so massively important. They care so much about their school. And so I love what you said, uh, because I think collectives are getting that same bad connotation. Um, and I love what you're saying about, no, collectives can be used for good. Let's just do it the right way. Absolutely. And there is a way to do it the right way. I mean, I think there's a pressure, a competitive pressure to kind of like get ahead, get ahead. Anytime there's competitive pressure, there's pressure to kind of cut corners. And that's what I see a lot of these collectives doing is, hey, why don't we just cut a corner by you know, announcing that we're going to pay a certain amount of money in the future. Hey, by the way, we don't have any money yet. Or why don't we just cut a corner by signing somebody to a deal that could pay up to a certain amount of money? Hey, there's no indication that we're going to be able to pay that amount of money. And there's also uh, a lot of questions about how we would be able to do that and whether it's tied to performance, like all this other stuff. Or you can go about it the right way and say, look, let's actually garner support. Let's show people in our fan community that we're about the right thing. Let's pull this money. And then because we have those relationships with student athletes, let's work with the ones where it makes sense and, and create something everybody can be proud of. And I think there are some that are doing that, too. Yeah. And it's it, it's kind of, you know, you hope it democratizes a little bit of the access around the fandom and the affinity to the program. Right. That's that's what we love. You know, whether it's your alma mater or not, if you you know, ascribe to a particular fan base. What a cool thing to be able to say, yeah, you know, I'm a part of this collective that is directly contributing to, you know, this university or institutional success. I'm helping out, you know, athletes who have been struggling or, or having a difficult time making men, uh, uh, making ends meet. But, you know, what a, 
what a great thing to be able to contribute and say, no, like this is really a we, right? Like we're, we are actually doing this, which is, is a, a really neat thing. It is. It, it is very cool. And what a great thing to be able to get involved with it. I, I would encourage people, you know, if you see your collective, you believe in it, like get involved. There's plenty of space because because mainly the collective space is made up of volunteers. So you can volunteer your time, too, and kind of deepen your connection and affinity in that way. Cam, how does, you know, now let's bring the word transfer portal into the mix. Right? Do you think, and, and for listeners before, you know, recent legislation is you don't have to sit out a year, right? Do you think there's going to be legislation around when you can take NIL money if you are entering and transferring? Because when you include transfer portal and NIL, like the word inducement is very like, it's a very hot word right now. Do you think mm-hmm. there is going to be legislation around that? I've, I've read a couple opinions in, in both directions. What are your thoughts on it? I don't think so. I mean, I think the problem is the foundation of NIL is not the world that we live in right now. For the world we live in right now, there's this question about how can you possibly allow kind of NIL to exist in the context of transfer portal. They're, they're basically the, the cocktail of problems that we're dealing with, right? In the world that we conceived, in the world that will always exist in the NIL space, in the part that's about student-athlete autonomy and the right to privacy and like kind of the, the whole concept that student-athletes have a platform they should be able to monetize, I don't think it can be tied to, to transferring at all, right? You look at the Cavender twins and you say, well, why would they lose their Boost Mobile deal? from going to Fresno State to going to Miami. It seems like, honestly, it might get even bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, or you think about some, some other high-profile people and you say, well, their celebrity is really not tied to the school in the sense that it would not be able to be replicated in another school. Um, I think that that's really kind of going to be a business choice. So from a business's perspective, you know, I, I think about my favorite local art ice cream shop is called Jarling's Custard Cup. For anyone who's ever been around here, you know it's delicious. If Jarlings is working with, you know, Andre Curbelo, who's on our basketball team, last year, it makes a lot of sense. We're here in the central Illinois community. Jarlings is tied there. He's a member of the men's basketball team. Andre decided, hey, I think I'd, I, my fortunes are better off at St. John's. He transferred last year. Jarlings doesn't have a whole lot of use for Curbelo right now. It has about the same amount of use for Curbelo at St. John's. As, you know, my favorite bagel place up there, Zucker's, did in New York when Corbello was here in Champagne, Basically none. And so I, I do think there's a real value to doing it that way. But I think that when you think about it from a student-athlete rights perspective, it's hard to take away. I think your point is well taken, though, that we can't have this world where, you know, you can, you can use kind of recruiting inducements of current student-athletes through the transfer portal. And I think we have to do something to stop that. I think um, – NIL is is not necessarily the vehicle of doing that. But I also think that people people need to get more comfortable with the idea that student athletes are going to move around a lot. Right. Like one, there's a lot of opportunities. There's a fierce war for talent. Two, that's the same trend we've seen in the pros. Right. Like in some ways we talk about like, oh, student athletes are moving around all the time. And I think back and I'm like, didn't we already go through this with LeBron James and the decision and all that? Right. Like this is a new world we live in. And and I've talked about this on many occasions. These are young people. Mm -hmm. So they're actually people and they're also young. And what we're seeing right now in the transfer portal, that's no different than what we've seen in the great resignation and just the Gen Z war for talent. Like that's, that's how that works. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think people need to appreciate that, look, student athletes are going to move around a lot at the same time, you know, we're actually trying to run a competitive endeavor here. And so maybe being able to move around four times in four years is, is not 
um, ideal for that. And, and it isn't. But getting comfortable with it and saying, all right, there's going to be some movement and we're going to have to find a way to restrict it um, is a different thing than saying, all right, we're going to have to use NIL to do it because I just don't really think you can. Yeah. And that, you know, you, we, there's a lot there, right? Um, in terms of a competitive market, in terms of, you know, the the trends that are happening and what what is mirrored at the pro level being reflected in the collegiate level, uh, you know, not just on the court, but also, you know, on the, the quote unquote business side of it uh, as well. There's, there's a, a ton to unpack. Um, and that kind of brings up another point of this institutional goal at the end of the day of being pushing athletes towards degree completion, right? Like that's, that's mm-hmm. the purpose of, of an institution's existence is, is to bring student athletes and students to a, a point of completing their degree. And that's another hot topic around that transfer portal is this, is this helping or hurting the, deg- the degree completion of student athletes. And, um, just recently as of, I think today or yesterday, um, we saw California putting forward uh, a new bill around this kind of, you know, pay for play, um, profit sharing, revenue sharing direction that they're, they're moving. It's, it's, it's SB, a complicated one, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, SB 1401, for those of you who, who care about those types of things and want to dig a, a little bit deeper, but essentially what California is saying is that they will pursue revenue sharing for, um, student athletes, and then they will put that uh, revenue into a fund distributed throughout, you know, the four years of the athlete's um, time at the institution that they can, you know, use that money. And, and that's supposed to be a way to encourage them to complete their degree. Adam, we're talking TV deals. Like, talk talk to me about when, when you say revenue share, what, what all goes into that? Yeah. So, um, broadcast deals, um, ticket sales, the, the revenue and profit that's generated, um, from the athletic programs would then be distributed back to the student athletes. And it would be distributed in a way, I mean, you can, you can look this up. Um, LA times had a great write up on it. I saw it on Yahoo news. You can, you can look up some of the details, um, on it and can, maybe you can even speak a little bit more intelligently than I can, but, um, it would be a, a 50 50 share essentially. Um, and so, uh, there's a lot of conversation around this bill being, you know, the bill that kills collegiate sports, which I think is ridiculous. People are just looking for clicks on their, <laughs> on their ads, um, or on their, their articles. But I, I'd love to hear just your thoughts on, on, um, that bill in particular, Cam, cause there's, you said there's a lot, it's complicated. There's, there's some interesting things happening here. Yeah, it's complex and I won't even endeavor, particularly so early on, to speak too much to the complexities of it. Um, But a couple of things I'll speak to. First of all, for listeners out there, I want you to understand the history of student athlete empowerment has has generally started with California, be it at Obana UCLA, be it, you know, the Alston case, be it the Fair Pay of Lay Act, the first NIL law, like and so California was think, California was the first state to actually change the NIL legislation. They changed it in 2019. Correct. Correct. And, and so I, I sometimes teach this, but that's a part of the story is that like there's kind of a common theme of people who believe they could, right? Like people, and it's kind of the same people keep showing up in this story. <laughs> um, so I say that to say, don't think 
oh, that's California. You know what? They just pass stuff out there and this will never catch on. Um, it, it will, says the NIL director, <laughs> right? Like it, it can. Yeah. Um, I think that it can be reworked and there's other things, but it, it, it's legitimate and, and can catch on. I think what it does, though, is is it, it accelerates a train that is is starting to move. And there's a question about how quickly it's moving about, OK, are student athletes going to earn wage compensation from institutions? And then the more important question, which is how much, whom, and in what capacity, right? The devil's always in the details there. How workable that is with respect to what's being proposed out of California most recently, I don't know. And I I won't seek to opine on that because I can't quite see the future. But I think what this is doing is it's pushing us toward a world where we say, okay, let's, let's figure it out. Because just like name, image, and likeness, you know, the first law went into effect in 2019. It was 10 years before when Ed O'Bannon first made his challenge, mm-hmm. right? Or I don't know when it'll come that student athletes may actually be earning wage compensation, but it won't, whoever says that won't be the first person to say, it, right? It's mm-hmm. not a novel concept. And so there's this idea that, all right, what's happening there, what's happened in the Johnson case, what's happening in a couple other instances is actually pushing us closer and closer to a world where instead of just saying, is it going to happen? It gets us to that harder part of let's figure it out. Right. Right. And so I think saying let's do it in a revenue sharing model on some hands, like, you know, I like to say on one hand kind of makes sense. You're like, hey, these are the people who are generating, generating it. Um, they should share in a part of that revenue is how most jobs work. On the other hand, you say, well, this isn't really like a job. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, in a lot of ways, the benefits that come with a job like steady pay, we all like that. Um, but other things that come with a job, like accountability to our employer, yeah, we don't like that as much. <laughs> Generally, that's not seen as favorably. Um, I think that you know we put on institutional program for the purpose of helping out young people, mm-hmm. for the purpose of helping out students. There might be a way that we can do that in the context of wage compensation, whether it is through collective bargaining or the employee-employer relationship or something else. I don't know. Yeah, right. It, because that's not built for this structure. And I think so many, you know, there's there's a lot of nil is a very polarizing topic, and people feel very passionately one way or the other. And I think yeah. I think the thing that is really important to remember in conversations about this is, you know, this bill as an example, is not intended to push forward that uh, perspective or the idea that student athletes should be seen as employees and would be given a, a compensatory wage in return for you know their performance. But I think it, there is a little bit of, hey, we need to think about moving this direction uh, mm-hmm. it, holistically, but you can't just snap your fingers and all of a sudden that happens because what what happens with conference alignment? What happens with transfers like we've just talked about? What happens when somebody gets hurt and they lose you know their ability then to to continue performing as an athlete? You know, traditionally you would you would keep your scholarship, which is great, but if you mm-hmm. if you're not on a scholarship and you're getting a wage as a result of your employability, now all of a sudden that changes things. So there's all of these when you begin to peel back one layer, you you reveal like, ah, this onion is a lot bigger than, you know, maybe the news makes it seem to be or, or ESPN around the horn makes it seem to be at first. Absolutely. It's it's very, very complex. I mean, and, you know, I like to always remind people that, you know, in the 50s when we started paying out athletic scholarships, we kind of created this legal fiction that is the student athlete. It's kind of the classic, I know it when I see it. 
Um, but there really aren't a lot of correlates in in our legal and employment structures that are like student athletes, like the, the relationship they have in terms of you know what the compensation is, how the compensation is restricted, you know, the fact that it's not taxed, like all this different stuff. Um, it, it's kind of a special set of rules made for a special group of people. And so to anyone who kind of thinks they have the silver bullet, I always would encourage you to be wary about kind of potentially trying to put a, a round peg into a square hole, because in a lot of ways, that's what we've been doing since the fifties. And if we kind of work within our existing structures and not trying to use all our, our ingenuity that we can. So a question for you, Cam, I'm, I'm curious how closely you work with the coaches. Um, I, I, I come from Maryland. Maryland does not have anybody in your position currently. Um, I think they're scrambling right now, just to be frank, with trying to figure out NIL and get their hands around it. Um, and our coaches are beating down the door of our compliance office saying, hey, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? And I know our compliance office is kind of spinning right now um, saying, I have a job to do. This is a totally separate job and it's really taking up my entire time. Um, right. So how closely are you working with coaches on a, on a one-to-one basis? Very. I mean, so for one, I'll say, I mean, to, to what's going on with Maryland, Damon, Cody, like th- those guys do a great job over there. So it's, it's a, it, it is a, a tough or tough road to hoe specifically when, you know, it's, it's not the entirety of your role. Um, so that's thing one, I'll say thing two, I, I work very closely with our coaches because to me, you know, I, I still kind of thinking like an old lawyer, I like to say a coach is like a client. You know, I, I think about it as these are the people who run the programs that my job is to assist those people. Um, I think the most important thing is really being proactive with those coaches, educating them about kind of what they can and can't say, what's going on across the market, and then kind of helping them think through what they might want you to achieve in terms of results because coaches have different goals, right? Like coaches may say, well, you know what? I want to make sure that every player on our team earns the exact same amount of money. You say, okay, well, when I'm educating, you know, businesses or we do open houses and that kind of stuff, I'm going to want to speak to a little bit more of the egalitarian nature of it versus if there are coaches who are saying, I want the two stars on the team to earn all the money because I think that's the best way of us advancing our program. I say, well, you know, you can't really do that. But generally the stars on the team are the ones who have the best social media followings and things. Mm -hmm. And so I say, okay, well, let me work with that team to make sure that the social media following can be amplified to kind of create even more segmentation, right? That kind of thing. Um, But you really want to have your coach's appetites because, again, like I – I don't have that same relationship with our student athletes as our coaches do. I have good relationships with several of them, but it's not like our coaches. And so I want to make sure that I'm not trying to kind of be in the background playing God of saying, well, this is what I think should happen. And this is what I think we should do with the University of Illinois and the NIL program. The truth is that every decision that I make affects our coaches and our student athletes. And the other thing our coaches do is because they're closer to our student athletes, they know them as people, right? So one thing our coaches will say all the time, people never talk about this, but is they'll say, I don't want our student athletes doing a ton of stuff during the season. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah, well, that's something fans don't really think about, right? Because they don't have to interact with them in that way. But yes, it's, it's really quite a to do to say, okay, hey, you know, we're playing a football game against, you know, Minnesota on Saturday. It's Thursday night. Um, hey, w- would you mind coming over here and making an appearance for three hours? It's like, well, yeah, kind of, because I have class <laughs> yeah. tomorrow and like I have to leave in the middle, right? Like there's all this other stuff. Um, and so we, we really are, are trying to be really focused on that. But it's the coaches that help you 
help you stay grounded there because it's easy for me to get caught up in like, okay, what's going on on Twitter? What's going on in legislation? Mm-hmm. What's going on in the business world? How's ESPN talking about this today? What somebody else's coach is saying without saying, no, 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 no. These are the people that you're here to serve. These are the people that you're here to help. And these two athletes are the ones that you care about. These ones right here, mm. here at Illinois. And the coaches are the ones who help me focus on that the most closely. That's super, super insightful. And I think it's really critical to understand the life of a student athlete and just how busy it is. Uh, Sean went through it a couple of weeks ago and just it's just it's fascinating, but it's inspiring. Cam, just to wrap, what are you most concerned about? You know, what are your next challenges and endeavors? Like we've made it through, I feel like this is Jabanji and it's like level one complete, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, what's, what's, what's on the horizon for you and the challenges and, and what you see coming in the space? Yeah. You know, I've gotten that question a lot recently and I, and I still don't really know what the right answer is, to be honest. I'll say off the cuff, I think the challenge is going to continue to be the same thing that it's been from the very beginning which is that critical question I alluded to. What is the appropriate relationship between the institution and the third-party business endeavors of its student-athletes? And the reason that question is going to become more of a challenge is because the back half of that, the third-party business endeavors of student-athletes is going to grow, right? And so on one hand, there's, there's a sense that, look, this whole thing is about autonomy. And so if collectives want to really juice up the numbers, if people want to start you know, transferring for that reason. If players want to start demanding retention bonuses, all that other stuff, like what is your role in either making that happen or not happen? And as we're looking to change our state law, I think that's a big question that I have for myself, not just what can I do because there's so much flexibility in the space. You can do pretty much anything if you have an institutional appetite, but what should I do? Right. It's a question of, okay, if, one of the girls on my soccer team comes to me next year and says, Hey, I think that I want to take this deal versus that deal. But I know that, you know, I trust these guys more than those guys. Like, should I tell her that? Right. Like, is it up to me to tell her where we should go? Mm -hmm. Um, Even if she asks me, you know, how much information should I give? Like those kinds of things are really hard. And I think those challenges are actually going to even get harder because more people are jumping into the space. I think they're also going to get harder because bigger businesses are jumping into the space. So another thing people haven't forgot about is, you know, there are entities like Campus Inc. who are really, really forward thinking or like, hey, let's let's get on top of this. Right. But there are a lot of entities because you know, NIL didn't go into effect until the middle of 2021 that they didn't have their 2022 budget ready yet. And so there's this sense that, well, some some of the really, really big players are going to start to move the needle in this space. And when those players start to act, it's going to become a whole nother game because then it's going to become a situation where you're saying, well, you know, I could see a world, you know, we're not talking about custard cup anymore. Say we're talking about, I don't know, Dairy Queen, you know, giant that that is. And, and it's every student at this school or every student athlete at this school has a deal with Dairy Queen. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's a big deal. And then you start to say, well, that sounds like money that's going to come for a really long time. And that sounds like the school getting very, very much in bed with Dairy Queen, which may be good, maybe not. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, right. And so there's all these questions about what is the right relationship when that happens and how do we actually manage that? And how do we say, look, you know, stuff is as simple as, hey, here's your Dairy Queen deal. You have the same one that everyone did for the last four years to things that are like, hey, don't eat Dairy Queen every day just because you can't. It's not good for your body, right? Like there's, there's all this stuff. And the question is like, who says that? And that's stuff that I, I continue to work through 
um, and, and continue to think through like ways that that kind of question is going to going to be answered. But that question is the same one that we dealt with, you know, when it came to collectives and, and, and to what extent collectives should be involved with this stuff. It's the same question that we dealt with when it came to group licensing. And when we thought about like kind of the, the, the group era of NIL when everything was like the team deals and everything was about kind of getting people signed up for Brander. Um, and it's the same question that we honestly dealt with when, when institutions were, were putting forward these, the state laws, yeah. right? I mean, you think about, the people who really pushed the state laws that came out of California, like those were activists, right? That was like Ed O'Bannon, the usual suspects. I mean, the folks who pushed the state laws here, I mean, that's University of Illinois, right? And so there's some question about like, well, isn't this the one who was trying to stop the law for a long time, right? So eat all of that is wrapped up in that same central question. And as that question continues to morph and manifest, I, I'm here to try to figure it out. Um, but if you guys have any tips or tricks, please do let me know because <laughs> it's a tough space and, and we're all trying to just wade through it together. Well, we we appreciate this and, and it's evident you're a thought leader in the space and the university must feel super fortunate to, to have you on the staff. And it's just been impressive and, and to work with you and everything thus far. So, um, you know, I'm sure listeners might reach out for tips, tricks or whatever. Um, but just to say you're, you're doing an amazing job and it's pretty awesome to see, see what y'all have done. So we'll have to, uh, we'll have to do this again at some point to see what all has changed. <laughs> since I'm we sure talk. it'll be totally different by then and, <laughs> and I'd be glad to do it. I mean, I'll say you guys are doing a really good job yourselves and I want to commend you not on the job you guys are doing on the business side, but also as kind of being leaders of the space. I mean, I think, you know, to your point from earlier, Adam, there's a lot of polarization and, you know, it's one thing for me as somebody who's paid by the University of Illinois to say, hey, this is great. It's another thing for businesses who have not only kind of found success, but accelerated their success through student athlete name, image and likeness to come and say, hey, this is great. So I want to commend you guys for doing that and for getting the word out. Thank you. We've got a lot more work to do nonetheless, but <laughs> uh, great people like Adam and Sean keep keep our wheels moving. So this is all. Hey everyone, Adam Cook from Campus Inc. in the NIL store. Just wanted to say thanks again for listening and joining us on this journey. And as a reminder, if you ever need any teamware, custom merchandise, rec or youth league jerseys, uh, fraternity and sorority wear, or company merchandise, we're always here for you. You can find us at campus.inc. And of course, for all your NIL needs, nil.store.